0: Welcome to the Heart of Roll America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to the show. Here's my mom, Amanda Rocky. It's Amanda Radke. Welcome back to another episode of the Heart of Rural America podcast, the show where we highlight good people doing great things in rural America to make their communities stronger and to provide food for the world in the agriculture community that we love. Today's guest, I had the great pleasure of first connecting with on social media and then mutual friends introducing us because they felt like we needed to meet. And then finally got to meet in person out in Utah when I was speaking to. The Utah Farm Bureau in Provo, AJ Richards. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Amanda. Appreciate it.
0: I'm excited to dive into a lot of meaty topics that I feel you and I are very aligned on, and and that you're not afraid to tackle on social media. But before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty of it all, tell us a little bit about who you are, what your background is, and and what you do.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, Utah born and raised for the most part. My family are fifth generation ranchers. I'm actually a relative of the Bundy ranchers that were pretty prominent on the news a few years back. Mm -hmm. So I grew up around agriculture my whole life, grew up dealing with the stuff we deal with in the West from the producer side in terms of BLM land and the challenges that surround that through, you know, land grabs and and certain policies that don't actually serve America. But, you know, experiencing that growing up and just kind of remembering all the family meetings about the challenges that face the producers Mm -hmm. that are growing our food. And so... I always wanted to be in ag myself. I'm the, I I relate as the city slicker cousin, and I kind of joke about that. Yeah. I got to do all the cattle drives and brandings, but I didn't wake up and do the chores. And so, but it was always something that I wanted to do. If my mom was my dad, I would be ranching, right? Grandma mm-hmm. had five boys and five girls. Whoever the girls married, that that was the life they they ended up with, right? My dad was from the city, and so that just wasn't in the cards for us, but. I remember my uncle telling me a long time ago, if you want to be a millionaire rancher, you need to start with 10 million because you'll lose it all and have a million. (laughs) And so I've spent the better part of my adult life trying to become that, you know, multimillionaire to own a ranch. And then universe works in funny ways. And finally I said, you know what? I'm trying all of these other ways to get into ag. How about I just get into ag? And 2019, I started selling beef for my cousin's ranch and kind of things just went from there.
0: Awesome. And so today you have a lot of cool projects in the works that I think are really exciting. And I had the great pleasure of getting to tour one of those projects you're working on. So tell us a little bit about the processing facility that's currently under construction there in Utah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. You know, sometimes I wake up and I wonder what the heck am I doing here? Because it was never in the cards for me to be in, in meat processing or have much of a connection with that. But in pursuit of of another project I've been working on, frankly, God put me down this path of things that I had to know in order to accomplish what it was I thought I needed to know or wanted to do. <laughs> so I found myself running a small USDA meat processing facility in Cody, Wyoming. I, I did not go there to run it. I went there to be chief strategist, which is what I'm doing here at Utah Beef Producers, you know, put together a business model that makes sense to help make the facility profitable, but then have other downstream sources of revenue. But about four months being there, we had to let our slaughterhouse manager go. And it was an emergency. It like happened suddenly because of some things that were happening. And I'm in Cody, Wyoming. There's 10,000 people and nowhere for anybody else to move in to live. So mm-hmm. I'm looking around. I'm like, well, I guess I'm that guy. So <laughs> <laughs> ended up becoming an emergency meat plant operator. And I- I'm not the expert in that field, but I leaned on my employees there that had been there for a while until one of them took over. But now I'm in Richfield, Utah. So that experience gave me a ton of knowledge around the challenges that are facing our slaughterhouses. I, I was hyper-focused on the rancher. Then I get into the slaughter you know, ecosystem. And I'm like, oh man, these guys are we are just as at risk of losing our small mom and pop meat processing plants as we are our small farms and ranches. Like this Absolutely. is a this is an issue across the board. So I did that for a while. Unfortunately, the overall leadership of that organization weren't in it for the right reason, so I had to move on. But that experience gave me the ability to step in here at Utah Beef Producers in Richfield, Utah. And we're building a facility that will process about 150 head per day. It's a significant benefit to the community of Utah, the producers here. Like I said, I sold beef for my family's ranch in 2019. And when COVID hit, we we were building a business. We had monthly subscribers doing 10 to 15 pounds a month on average. And we were putting new people on every single week. And then I called for slaughter one day and they said, we can get you in in 12 to 18 months. And that's, you know, that that's kind of where... That is where all of this took off. If, if none of that was happening, I would have just been running my own direct-to-consumer meat company and not doing sure. anything else. Sure. So, yeah.
0: In the grand scheme of things, if we look at the trends, we're losing 1,300 cow-calf and stockers each year. We've lost 75% of our feedlot owners in this country. And, and on the flip side, 85% of our meat supply is controlled by four major packers. So it it does feel like death by a thousand cuts that everywhere along the way, every, every little nick we take along that beef production chain just kind of further centralizes and corporatizes our entire industry, which is where we can either gripe and complain. Like we, it's easy to do or like you and I probably agree on the most is like, okay, let's step out of the paradigm and let's look at new ways of profitability. And so as you were giving me this tour, impressive facility from beginning to end. And and it was just so exciting for me to be there and get to walk through that space and see how it's all coming to fruition, opening up in March. And the one question I asked you... (laughs) was how are you not going to get gobbled up by the big guys for pennies on the dollar? So tell me about kind of how you're structuring the facility where the slaughter is one part of the business, but you are expanding into other areas of revenue for this business.
1: Well, that's kind of a two-part answer. The first part would be that the gentleman building it, Henry Barlow, it's a calling that he received from God. Mm -hmm. And so those are harder to buy. Because it wasn't about the money and right. any anybody listening to this, your audience probably all knows that ain't nobody getting into slaughter for money. So, <laughs> yep. and so, you know, he put a ton of his own energy, time, and capital into this matter of fact, has not had any support from the state or federal government financially at all at this point. Um, millions of dollars invested because he wants to make a difference for the producer. So the first answer, the first answer I'll give you is that because this is God's calling that we're just on the ride for, you know, we have a saying here that it was a quote shared to Henry by his mother, which is be up to something so big that is destined to fail without God's intervention. We live by that. When people come in and we give them a tour, we tell them that because you can quickly weed out who you want to be around you Mm -hmm. when you mention God you you tell people that we are on the ride with God and then if they don't have that faith they just don't stick around which is helps us kind of weed out the wheat from the chaff
0: it, um, it really is a beneficial thing you know i've i've had people tell me you need to stop talking about your faith you'll stop getting invited to speak places and some of the places that overlook me it's like i don't i don't know if i'd fit in there anyway but yet <laughs> right. the more you're just authentically who you are and you let the holy spirit guide you it's like Not only do you kind of weed out the wheat from the chaff, but you also bring the best people into your life, and it's just so fruitful in that way. So that's what I felt like when I was with you guys. It was like, yep, these are people that are aligned in their faith and their values, and that's what's driving their their decision making here in this business.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the other part of that is that we view the slaughterhouse not as the end component. It is simply, you know, this is something that I that I. When I was brought on a chief strategist, this is what I took away from my previous role in Cody was we have to rethink the role of a small meat slaughter facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that role isn't killing, cutting, and wrapping beef. Yes, that's what we do, right? There's a book called Starts With Why. And Simon Sinek wrote that book. And he talks about your why versus what you do, Mm -hmm. you know, and he gave the comparison of Apple versus Microsoft. Microsoft, if you asked them early days what they did or or who they were, they would say, we build computers. Whereas you would ask Apple and Apple would say, we help connect people. Mm -hmm. That gave them the vision and the ability to do the Apple iWatch and the phone and the, you know, the MP3 player, all of those things, because their vision was around, why we do something not what we do which can put you in this narrow you know field of view so why we are doing what we're doing is to help americans connect with local producers so that we can shorten the distance of the supply chain
0: mm-hmm. and give
1: the producer more value so then from that viewpoint it gives us the ability to look at all of the options on the table as a slaughterhouse and say okay meat processing is the hub it's the center We, We get them slaughtered. We get them packaged. Now what? What other sources of revenue can we develop?
0: The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by my dear friends at CK6 Consulting, a cattle business consulting service with a purebred Angus focus. I recently joined the CK6 crew, and I would love to connect with you at an upcoming sale. Check out the sale calendar at ck6consulting.com to learn more about opportunities to invest in elite Angus genetics coming from our progressive and innovative clients who truly exemplify what it means to be the heart of rural America. And for all your semen needs, visit ck6source.com, an online stud service that features some of our clients' top performing bulls. Give Chris Earle, Wes Tiemann, Cody Fleeman, or myself a call with any questions or business inquiries you may have. CK6 is all about families helping families, and I'm so proud and grateful to be a part of it. Now let's get back to the show.
1: So, from there, we will have our own direct to consumer brand where we partner with producers who do not want to build a label and do marketing and do sales and do all of those things. There's there's plenty of those producers. They don't want to get taken at the auction, but they also don't have the bandwidth to do all of those other steps. So we'll partner directly with them. We'll do this for people who want their own label for sure. Like come and wrap here. We've invested in equipment to give you the best possible package presentation that you can have. Um, we're doing things with waste management, soil, soil, uh, uh, soil amendments through our waste products and wastewater education. We're partnering with the local college, snow college to start a meat processing course. And then hopefully a meat science degree, because we need more children, more youth to get into this industry. So all of those things are what I believe will keep us stable without ever having to consider somebody getting involved with us that we don't want.
0: And so tell me about the app then, kind of how mm-hmm. that plays. Tell us what you guys have created and how that's going to help producers as well.
1: Yeah. So what led me on this journey was, you know, when the meat processors were packed, were backed up and I couldn't get in, I started looking at the supply chain as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally just driving down the road one day and they're talking on the news about no meat in the store shelves during COVID in the cities, like there was no meat and I'm in this rural community and there's cattle all over the fields. I'm in, you know, Southern Utah driving around. I was like, it's not a food issue. We have food, right? We have a supply chain that has been completely corrupted to where it only benefits a few. So we have a supply chain issue. Yeah, And so I, I just had this inspiration, like you need to build something similar to Airbnb, but instead of short-term rentals is local food growers that will populate in an app by your geolocation, so that no matter where you're at in the country, you can connect as close to home as possible with Mm -hmm. people that are growing food. That was four years ago. I had this vision. And so now God has put me on all of these. I mean, nothing is ever point A to point B. I mean, I I have been, like I said, never knew I was going to end up running a slaughterhouse, but it was crucial to understand that aspect. So it's called from the farm. And the whole point of that, like I said, is to connect as many consumers to producers locally as possible, because that's how we start securing the supply chain. Here's what happened. I served in Iraq in 2005 to 2006, and we rolled into a village with care packages. Mm -hmm. I was a 22-year-old young man. The memory of that experience changed for me in 2020. But I roll in, we're handing out these packages. In 2020, I hadn't thought about this event for a long time, at least for what it was. And then in 2020, I'm like thinking about my kids not having access to food. And I remember seeing this man's face watching us take care of his family in Iraq because he didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I will never, I will do everything in my power to make sure I'm not the dad watching some government organization bringing us food because we've let this corrupt infrastructure just dominate. My worst nightmare is that our food is raised by corporate or state or federal organizations only, and that we're relying on that.
0: It's terrifying. Yeah, I can already hear people listening to this and getting their hackles up because yeah. they do on my social media too. Anytime I talk about, hey, look at these producers that are doing something different, that are creating new pathways to profitability so that they can take care of their families and stay on the land. I mean, isn't that what we want, right? And I have people attack me like, oh, so my beef isn't good enough to highlight or why are you pitting different production methods against each other? And I, I just want to clarify anything I'm doing is, is to just give people ideas that we're not stuck doing the same thing. And if if you want to sell commodity beef in the commodity market and go straight to the, the big four, that's always going to be there for you. Like if it yep. works for you, if it pays your bills, nobody's knocking it. But if it's not working, which it's not for a lot of guys, we need to create new options. And that's what capitalism is. That's what the American dream is. That's what entrepreneurship is. So I think this is so exciting to see just like a fresh take of of folks that are just, we're going to try a new, a new way. And you're, you see a problem. I saw these same problems in the pandemic too. And it just ate away at me. This seeing like producers never took a day off. The food's here. But, yeah. but it's piling up in dead piles because the plants aren't running. Like, there's yeah. a problem here. And a nation that can't feed itself is not free. And mm-hmm. so what's the solution? Keeping more and more of us in production agriculture so it's robust and diverse. And And so this app, I think, is really cool. I mean, I'm already thinking, like, I want to be on that app, like, put me on the map and I'll, yeah. I'll sell some beef locally because it's hard to ship. It's expensive. So if I can connect with more customers in my area, I think it's it's fabulous. So tell me about Brooke. I, I got to meet Brooke on mm-hmm. our little Redmond Sea Salt tour, which fun fact, I didn't know we were going a thousand feet underground. I just thought we were like <laughs> touring. Oh, they're going to show me how they bag the salt or something in the plant. And pretty soon I'm signing my life away and heading underground, like five minutes after I get there. And then here's Brooke, a CrossFit just famous gal, 1.5 million viewers on Instagram alone, and she's doing handstands in (laughs) the salt mine. So she's, she's in on this project. She's helping develop the app. Tell me about that partnership and how it's helped you guys reach an audience outside of, you know, our own pasture gates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Brooke is a hometown friend of mine. Our family's pretty much built Southern Utah. I mean, her dad literally built Southern Utah.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Ents homes, big, big, you know, 80% of the homes there, probably Ents homes. My family were the ones living in the tents before houses existed there. So, (laughs) uh, so, we, uh, I knew her from the CrossFit world. I didn't know her from town, but I knew her from the CrossFit world because I was in that space as well. And in 2020, I reached out to her about doing something in, in the space of beef. And at first it was, it was prior to having this vision for the app. And frankly, when the app came to my mind, I kept it to myself for a long time because sure. what do I know about building an app? And yep. it's never, it's never going to happen because I'm not a tech guy at all. Yep. But we talked about that. And then eventually I'm like, you know what, listen, I'm working on something I think is going to be much bigger. Mm -hmm. Are you interested in getting involved with me on that instead? And Brooke is so well-spoken and energetic that having a partner like that get involved is crucial. Also, Brooke is the pre-seed funder for our software. So when I had people with millions and millions and millions of dollars say, man, this is such a great idea. Come talk to me when it's going. Yeah. And then I've got her who she's very successful, but in comparison, probably not as successful financially, but was because of her belief system as well. She's like, I'm in. And actually at one point she's like, I'm in for all of it. And I was like, I don't want you to be in for all of it. Cause I don't want to, you know, risk losing it all and having that capital investment be such a significant deal. She insisted. She's like, no, I'm in, you need this to get the app going. I'm in.
0: Wow. So she,
1: she's one invested in our first seed round to get it built. And I told her, you know, I, I saw this video a long time ago. It's this guy dancing on the grass at a, at a festival and he's by himself. People are all sitting on the grass and here's this dude just looking like a fool all by himself on the grass. Yeah. And then the second person shows up and starts dancing with him. And then mm-hmm. very shortly after that, a whole mob joins. I saw the video and the person sharing the video talked about it in the scope of leadership. Yep. And they said, Who's the who's the leader here? And and what he was what he was articulating was that second person to buy in was who broke kind of broke the seal and gained momentum. Yeah. That that's who Brooke is for me. Like her commitment to this project and her faith, frankly, in me and the idea was necessary to, to get it going because as soon as you had pre-seed funding and an actual software in development, now there's all this kind of it, you know, now the groups are wanting to play. So yep. she's a leader. She really helped get this off the ground.
0: The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meets by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop and growing to an international supplier of high quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Linz is a four generation family owned business. The Linz Heritage Angus program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product. A focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age and weight of the cattle allows Fred Lins and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at LinsHeritageAngus.com and shop for beef at ShopLins.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend real tough livestock equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the deluxe chute at Radke Land and Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order let's get you some iconic green, real tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. You know, I'm, I'm learning that in business is that you can't really be on an island to be successful. You You've got to bring people onto your team that have a shared vision and just a shared passion to just chase something that's wildly bigger than you could do, do on your own. And that's definitely what I saw with you two, just working together and getting to tour that plant and seeing this all come together. Uh, So the CrossFit space, like this Mm -hmm. is a prime audience of people that care about their health, that are working Mm -hmm. out, that want good protein. How, like, what has been the response as you guys have kind of slow dripped this information and this concept to that audience?
1: Yeah. Well, I know from my previous work before the app, cause we've kind of had to take a step back and I didn't want to like let the cat out of the bag too soon until we yeah. had something in the works, but yeah. that audience, and this is something for producers to understand is the reason people that are buying direct or buying direct is they have questions. Yeah. They, they care enough about what they're putting in their bodies. They want to ask you specific questions. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to be that voice of information for them, Well, you need to get over it and just become that person because they need you to teach them. That's right. You know, we we are, we are a generation and a half away from uh, like, if your grandpa wasn't a farmer or rancher, and maybe I heard you say that, but if your grandpa is not a farmer or rancher, you have no idea what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I've had people pay me to teach them how to buy from producers, which is so weird that that's a need, but it is. They're embarrassed. They're afraid. They, that that's what keeps them from engaging. So if you just put out basic information on your social media about what a cut sheet is, what different cuts are, you know, a cow only has X number of ribeyes and T-bone, just things that you think nobody cares about. Actually, 300 million Americans know nothing about. That's the reality. So basic education is what they're looking for. They want to ask you. Did your animal get the mRNA vaccination? Do you give it antibiotics or vaccines or hormones or, and, and maybe you do, but they're only getting certain information fr- from a certain place and maybe it's counter to what you know. So it's important to educate and that's, that's making a big, big difference. So when it comes to the CrossFit space, those are the people they're consciously aware of what they're putting into their bodies and how to become an optimal human being. Yeah, It's a great audience to really focus on.
0: The great thing is, is when you do that, or if you're willing to do that, you're building these awesome relationships and you're earning a premium for what you're doing. I I mean, it's it's a win-win and you're empowering consumers to make choices that are aligned with their values and what they want. I mean, it's just, it's a great thing when it all comes together. And so tell me about kind of what's, what's next with the app, like where are you guys at and maybe the plant too, like what, where is everything as this airs, it'll be December when this airs. So we're a few months away from from it all coming together here.
1: Yeah. So as far as the plant goes, we're shooting for March to be open. Um, We have some big projects that we need to overcome first. You know, One of the big things that's facing us that's really causing issues really across ag in general is all of these climate alarmists and Mm -hmm. the different policies that get put in place for that. So water... We call it DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality. So what's going to happen with the wastewater? How do we clean it? What does it get? How does it get sent down the line? What about the solid waste? Is it going to the landfill? Are you composting it? So we've some really incredible technology that we're implementing that will allow us to clean our water four times to reuse it as a washdown tool. That'll save 8 million gallons of water a year. And on that fifth clean, it'll go down the line to a farmer's field cleaner than it actually would come out of a canal. And then all of the solid waste will be turned into biochar. So that can be at, used as a soil amendment and it'll give us some extra revenue for the plant uh, on that scale as well. So really just timing to get that stuff implemented and landed here on site. But March is our goal for that. We've meeting, we're have we meeting new producers every week that are excited that we're here because it's such a need. Just a few months ago, the, the waiting list for Utah slaughter was like still 90 days. And so, I you mean, know, just imagine any slight disruption again, we're still that far behind. A lot of people don't realize that nothing got fixed since the pandemic. Oh, like no. in terms of our supply chain, the the only thing that's changed, like the big the big guys in the government, they did nothing. Like right. they, they had a billion dollars of funding that that didn't go really to many places that actually secured our supply chain further than what it was. So if it, mm-hmm. if we have an issue again, we're only like maybe let's I'm going to throw it out there because I don't know, but 75 recovered. Look yeah. how. When we were at 100% operating capacity before the pandemic, look how bad it destroyed us. And now we're maybe only back up to 75%. So all of these new technologies and new processing facilities with, with the right business model to stay in business, mm-hmm. they're absolutely necessary.
0: Well, I think as Americans, we have to make the conscious decision of where we're going to spend our dollars. What kind of future do we want to see in this country? I mean, do we want to see hollowed out rural America or do we want to see young people coming back? with business ideas and ways to bring those dollars back to the you know middle of nowhere and and raise their families and and do you know pursue the american dream uh, where you guys are at like what's your what's your options i know you were saying to me like idaho is, as far as marketing or processors go like how far do folks have to travel right now
1: So we do have a few smaller processors that are probably doing somewhere around 40 head a week, but those fill up very quickly. So people are heading to Idaho and depending on where you live in the state, it could be a couple hours all the way up to seven hours. So that, you know, we talked to a gentleman that sends 40 loads a week to a plant in Idaho that we will be able to keep $170,000 in his pocket just because of shipping costs. Wow. A, year, a year because we're closer. Wow. So that, that's kind of what that landscape looks like right now.
0: Okay. So, yep. switching gears, uh, you have a podcast yourself and mm-hmm. you often use the phrase, shake the hand that feeds you. Tell me about that, how that came to be and what that means to you. Yeah. You know, there's that
1: saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. And so yeah. I wanted to kind of flip it on its head and say, so we started a movement called Feed the People by the People. And our podcast is called Feed the People. And it's really just a, an opportunity to connect with consumers and, and start to educate. Them on what's happening in their food supply chain to bridge that gap. And so the podcast is all about teaching people some of the things that are going on that, you know, we throw our tinfoil hats on quite often on our podcast and discuss what we believe is going on in the system as a whole. And you know, with Bill Gates and his intentions. And like, I was on a live book thing yesterday with Iron Man himself talking about this book, new book called Good Food, which is all about climate impact and not eating meat so that you're not infecting the climate and just there needs to be a louder voice counter to all of this, these other voices that have a ton of dollars behind it.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at at some of the narrative and the language surrounding some of these climate change agendas, and talking about being carbon neutral, well, guess what? Like we are carbon. Like <laughs> yeah. we don't exist. Like not only as the do they want the cow gone, but I I feel like it's very anti-human. And yes, and yeah, it's not a conspiracy that even banks are coming out with credit cards that will track your carbon footprint based on the purchases you make. So do I score poorly because I go out for a steak dinner? And people can say or say it's not a thing. And yet there is an agenda out there to control people, to control the land, to control the food and to do it through these carbon credits, yeah. carbon scores and all the things. So I don't, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at all. It's just a matter of, are you going to go with the flow because there's money there, which I see yeah. a lot of people in agriculture do. They're just clamoring for it because it's the wild West and there's lots of AOC Green New Deal dollars to be made. Or are we going to say, no, this, this actually defies logic, reason, science, and what we know to be true and and what we have to do to be stewards of the land and, you know, feed people and not yeah. lead people into starvation. But I will say probably one of the benefits I see to the pandemic as I look back on it is people were more hungry to learn about where their food comes from and the homesteader movement has just exploded and people wanting to start their own gardens and can and, You know, they're either thriving or they've realized this is really hard. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm going to starve to death because I grew four beans or whatever, you know. So it's I feel like there is a segment of the population that is growing in their appreciation of agriculture and wants to be a part of it. And if we just extend the invitation, they'll they'll be champions for us and alongside of us. I think that's really cool to see. So yeah. that was a long like just soapbox moment there. But what would you tell producers as they're looking at the the paradigm shift maybe that needs to take place to be profitable? I mean, I think maybe it was you that made the comment or I can't remember on the tour, but someone had said, um, you know, it'll be the first generation ranchers that go and be profitable while the fifth generation ones are are complaining that Congress won't fix The problems that exist. So I guess what are you seeing people do that's that's working for them and leading to that profitability piece?
1: Yeah, good question. I'm and I'm glad to hear that the conversation about the the words that are most dangerous to the producer world, which is it's always it's how it's always been done. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that more and more, which means it's being heard. And that's the truth. You know, three years ago I started saying to to generational producers, if you want to be profitable, go listen to the first gen producers. And that got me. Burnt at the stake, right? Because what could they possibly know that I don't? Well, here's the thing: if you inherited land, I'm happy for you. I have a lot of cousins who have inherited generational land and I'm so grateful that they get to continue to be on that land. However, your overhead is far less than somebody who had to go take out a massive loan or spend their entire life savings on a piece of land to produce food on. That means their scope, their perspective is just different. Not right, wrong, just Mm -hmm. different. And so I used to listen to this podcast, the Ranching Burnett podcast. I don't know if she's around much anymore, but she was a first generation producer and she li- she interviewed a lot of first generation producers. They have this open view of like, okay, I've got to make this payment no matter yeah. what. Yeah. So what do I got to do? And just by asking the question of what else can I do opens up your view of opportunity. And so producers be less committed to how it's always been done And be more open to what other possibilities are out there because then you'll stay viable. You mentioned the homesteaders. I think homesteaders are going to save our butt as a a nation because you have all of these. In the last couple of years, 1.5 million Americans have become homesteaders, probably more now. That means you have all these small market gardens or whatever operations that can feed at least a few people. Right. So yeah, I would say don't don't be so committed to how it's always been done. Your loved ones that have passed away that taught you are going to be proud of you for considering because I promise you they went through the same cycles. Yep. They didn't want to do it different than dad, but something came up and they had to do it different. If you're dealing with that, keeping the ranch is going to make them more p- proud than
0: just sticking to how
1: it's always been done.
0: Right. Yeah. Your ability to adapt and innovate and pivot to make it work is critical no matter what generation you're in. And you gave me. The perfect example or analogy of the small producer that sells tallow, like tallow mm-hmm. lotion and chapsticks for like a wild amount of money for yeah. basically what's whipped fat. You know, it's like, OK, is there are there products we're not selling and marketing here? Are there things that we can do to add value and how can we get that in front of an audience? So I think it's putting on your entrepreneur hat in addition to your cowboy hat and, and seeing what you can do. And yeah, half the neighbors will laugh at you, but I always say, let them laugh. And if you fail, you learn the lesson and you keep moving forward. So just a few minutes left in the show. Can you first tell us where folks can follow you, how they can learn more about what you do?
1: Yeah. So my Instagram is a period J underscore Richards. That's where I do most of my posts and videos and stuff like that you can find links to the podcast on there as well we do have a website called feed by the people.com if you are a producer and are interested in this software when we launch it you, there's a section where you can enter your information and i'll keep you updated there the software is five months in february it the the nvp the minimum vital pro- viable product launches we'll test it out in my region it'll work nationwide but i need to have my biggest challenge amanda is producers yeah. I can find buyers, which has been surprising. My Instagram went from 2,000 followers to 100,000 followers, primarily consumers, where I used to think I'm going to have way more producers than consumers. That's not been the case. So yeah, so yeah that feedthepeoplebythepeople.com or my Instagram would be a great place to have you. Um, I do have, by the way, we've already started what's called a Discord. So if you go to our website, you'll get an email back with a link to join. Okay. I've got thousands of consumers across the nation already looking to connect i thought man if if the world falls apart before an app goes live how many people can i help before then and so we set up this discord just to start connecting people and would love to have people there as well.
0: That's a, a great spot to land because I feel like there's a lot less censorship there on Discord when yes. Facebook and Instagram and all those love to just nick you up <laughs> for every little thing you say. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing. We went way over time. But like <laughs> I said, I, we're going to need a part two because I just so <laughs> enjoyed our conversation. And so maybe we'll have to circle back once the plant is up and running and, and check in and see how it's going. So thank you so much for coming on today, AJ. Likewise. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you found value in the message, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe and share to help spread the word. Until next time we meet on the Dusty Trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is The Heart of Roll America.